going to James chapter 1 here in just a moment. I'm going through a series on James. But first I want to take a moment to pray. So let's have a word of prayer. And uh, as we pray, we don't really have any members or attendees of Bethel in the hospital that I know of. But we do need to keep in prayer shut-ins. They're not able to have as many visitors. Um, Really, they can't have hardly any visitors. And it's a very lonely time for them right now, those in nursing homes. Certainly, we need to pray for our country, our world, our president, the doctors, and, and many others. So let's pray right now. Dearly Father, we just come to you again. Lord God, we need to keep on praying and never give up. Lord, I'm reminded of the parable that you said, uh, Jesus, in Luke 18, where it says that you gave them, you told them a parable so that they would keep on praying and never give up. As well as Luke chapter 11, I want to say, uh, the parable as well, with the neighbor coming over for bread, and you told them that parable about persistent prayer. Oh Lord, may we pray and pray persistently. Lord God, I... Think, and I strongly believe right now is a time where you're reminding us in the church and in, 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 in the United States of America and around the world that we need you, Lord. We desperately need you. Uh, we are not invincible. We are not infallible. Science cannot does not have all the answers. You have all the answers. Nothing wrong with science. It means truth. But all that science and all the truth needs to be under your word. And we need to be seeking you, Lord. And we need to be praying to you. And so we pray right now. Lord God, I lift up our shut-ins and the family and friends of our, of our church family right now. I pray your comfort and care and encouragement. I lift up Vivian Robertson, still at Master Nick's. I lift up um, the others. I think of Steve Bear's mom, um, Betty Bear, right now at Shepherd of the Valley. And I know I'll miss some. I lift up all those in hospitals, all those in nursing homes, all those in retirement communities, all those who are in their own homes, but they're just lonely. They can't get out. We pray for your comfort and your care and your encouragement upon them, Lord. We pray for Joan Rotar. You keep this away from her as she fights her cancer. Diane Young, Bill Rotar, who's dealing with back issues. Um, and you know every need, Lord. You know every need. I pray for those who have lost jobs or are temporarily laid off. Provide extra money. Stimulate our economy. And Lord, I pray for President Trump, Vice President Pence, Governor DeWine, Dr. Amy Acton, who's guiding um, him. We lift up the CDC and we lift up all the doctors and scientists. From my understanding, doctors and scientists all over the United States, all over the world, and colleges and universities are targeting their research on this COVID-19. And I pray, Lord God, that you will help Christians to shine, help the church to shine. And Lord God, I just ask that uh, you'll provide more cures. It sounds like this malaria medicine maybe, maybe a treatment option. I ask you would speed something that'll, that'll, that'll heal the coronavirus and also be able to be mass-produced. I ask that in the meantime, you would keep the coronavirus from spreading. You'll make it just dissipate, Lord. Just make it dissipate. Heal those who have it. Lord, I think of um, also another prayer request that went out a few days ago. Um, Anne Riddle's boyfriend's father and grandfather are hospitalized with the virus. We pray your comfort and care upon them. Give energy to all these doctors and nurses and hospital workers working extra time. Truck drivers also to transport food. Grocery store workers working extra. We, uh, the government, government workers, the CDC working extra. Give them energy. Give them knowledge. Give them wisdom. And, pray, and we pray for healing. We pray, Lord God, that this would stop within the next few weeks, if not few days, through treatment options, through your healing power, and, and America and the world can get back on their feet again. But Lord God, we pray that it's a time for the church to shine and help more people to come to know you as Lord and Savior. Be glorified, Lord. I pray that you help people 
turning their life over to you. Right now, maybe a time to realize, Lord, that we're not invincible. We need you, Lord God. And I pray for church growth. Bethel, friends, we've been praying, Lord God, that we touch a thousand lives with the gospel, that we reach more people with the gospel. And I pray that now as much as any. Lord God, we need you. And we need to know you as Lord and Savior. And Lord, right now, as we look at James 1, I pray that you would be our teacher through the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so I see more people here uh, have tuned in. So we're going to jump in here to James chapter 1, verses 13 through 18 in just a moment. Uh, again, remember that Sunday School is uploaded, my lesson, at least on YouTube and the church website. Again, I know I'm repeating myself, virtual Bible study Wednesday at 6. And uh, we're going to record Tim Burns Sunday School for next week. And if any uh, others of our teachers, we can do the same thing. So before I, or as I introduce James chapter 1, I want to share this. Uh, John Piper shared this in his, in his devotional called Solid Joys. But this comes from John Piper's book, which is called Future Grace. John Piper writes about Romans um, 8.32, actually, Romans 8.32. He says, God strips every pain of its destructive power. And I'm going to read Romans 8.32 in a minute, but actually I'm going to turn there right now to start it out. Romans 8.32. A, a few days ago in one of the articles that John Piper wrote, he, con he considered Romans 8.32, Romans 8, he considered Romans 8 the greatest chapter in the Bible. We have so much great wisdom there. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him, with Jesus, give us all things? Romans 8. And then John Piper writes, God strips every pain of its destructive power. You must believe this or you will not thrive, or perhaps even survive as a Christian in the pressures and temptations of modern life. We will not survive, we will not thrive as Christians if we do not believe that God strips every pain of its destructive power. Piper continues, There is so much pain, so many setbacks and discouragements, so many controversies and pressures. I do not know where I would turn if I did not believe that Almighty God is taking every setback and every discouragement and every controversy and every pressure and every pain and stripping it of its destructive power and making it work for the enlargement of my joy in God. Making that pain work for the enlargement of my joy in God. Piper continues, listen to Paul's astonishing words in 1 Corinthians 3, 21 through 23. 1 Corinthians 3, 21 through 23. He says, all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. That's the scripture. Piper continues, the world is ours. Life is ours. Death is ours, which, which I take to mean. God reigns so supremely on behalf of his elect that everything which faces us in a lifetime of obedience and ministry will be subdued by the mighty hand of God and made the servant of our holiness and our everlasting joy in God. I mean, that is just deep. That is so deep. And you can find this, by the way, on the Desiring God website. You know, again, God reigns so supremely on behalf of his elect. His elect are Christians. We could look at it as a corporate election, the church, okay? God reigns so supremely on behalf of his, let's say, church, that everything which faces us in a lifetime of obedience and ministry will be subdued by the mighty hand of God and made the servant of our holiness and our everlasting joy in God. If God is for us and if God is God, then it is true that nothing 
nothing can succeed against us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will infallibly and freely with him give us all things. All things, all things, the world, life, death, and God himself. Romans 8.32 is a precious friend. The promise of God's future grace is simply overwhelming, but all important is the foundation. Piper says, I've called it the logic of heaven. Here is a place to stand against all obstacles. God did not spare his own son. Therefore, therefore, the logic of heaven. Therefore, how much more will he not spare any effort to give us all that Christ died to purchase? All things, all good and all bad, working for our good. It is as sure, it is as, sure as a certainty that he loved his son. He loved his son. Well, so we are going through trials and tribulations right now, and I hope that that encourages you right now. You know, James, the epistle of James, this short letter of James, talks about trials and tribulations and persecutions and temptations. And, you know, as I was thinking about this, I thought about something I wrote up a number of years ago. A few years ago, back in 2016, I was running, and I was on a run with a friend, a good friend, and we're running in the country, and we're running up these big, big, bad hills. In running in Northeast Ohio, it's like we always either face big hills or wind or both. And it was a very windy day and we're running up these big hills south of the Damascus area, running in the country. We, and, and as we would climb the hills, the wind got worse. So we're running up a hill and then the wind would hit us too. And I, find, I found myself being angry at the wind angry at the wind. I actually even wanted to yell at the wind. Stop it. You know, why are you doing this to me? But in the end, you just got to keep running. You got to keep running and you got to keep moving. And I think that is the case with the Christian life, isn't it? You might have resistance in the Christian life, the wind, the hills, but you got to keep moving. You got to keep going forward. The devil attacks. See Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Temptation comes. Those attacks provide resistance. And they try to make us give up or knock us down, but we have to keep going and we can't give up. I remember one particular time I wanted to train for my fourth marathon and ended up canceling and not doing it. But it was February of 2016 and I'm running up Rock Hill, which is a Ronin Alliance. And it's almost midnight. The temperature's dropping. The wind is increasing. And, there, and I have about two miles. I'm in my 19th or 20th mile. I was tired. My legs felt like they were going to cramp up. And about two miles. But as I'm going uphill, I can see the stoplight. <laughs> I can see the red light, you know, up ahead. But it's way up there. And I'm going up against the wind. I'm going up a steady hill. And the hill goes all the way to there. But you got to keep running. you got to keep going. But that resistance builds us up. Whether it's wind or whether it's hills, they build us up. The muscle has to break down to build us up. And it's the same thing in the Christian life. The trials and tribulations build us up in the Christian life as well. First um, Corinthians 9. I meant to turn off the cuckoo clock, but it's chiming. There we go. First Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, the Apostle Paul writes, Do not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets a prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it, the Christian life, we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Paul says, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body to make it my slave. So that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Look up how many times we see perseverance throughout the New Testament. Perseverance through trials and tribulations. And I thought about this 
uh, last week as I was listening to the great theologian Garth Brooks. I'm just kidding. Uh, Garth Brooks, the country singer. He did this free, I guess, concert online. And he was being interviewed by some journalist. And he talked about a bow and arrow. The further you pull back the... Um, the arrow in the bow, in the, you know, in the string, you have more tension. It's harder to pull it back, but the further you pull it back, the, you know, faster and further it's going to go. That resistance is a good application here. So we're going through trials and tribulations right now as a country. Maybe you are too, depending, you know, everybody's different. But as we look at the Bible, we see that God does not tempt us, but God will allow us to be tempted in order to bring about his greater purposes. God does not tempt us, but he will allow us to be tempted by our sin nature, by sin around us, by the devil, in order to achieve his greater purposes. And we began a series on James last week, and we're going to continue it right now for a few minutes. In today's passage, we see the process of temptation, but we also see important theological truths. In James chapter 1, verses 13 through 18, we see multiple theological truths. We see that God does not tempt us to evil, and God cannot be tempted by evil, okay? God does not tempt us to evil, and God cannot be tempted by evil. Those are important theological truths. Theology means a study of God. Those are important theological truths. And here's another one. God does not change. We see that in James 1, 17 through 18. God does not change. That's an important theological truth. And God is good. God is good and gifts us with salvation. That's another important theological truth. So we see so many important theological truths in this passage. So my theme today is James gives, uh, James gives us the process of temptation while teaching us that God does not tempt us to evil. James gives us the process of temptation while teaching us that God does not tempt us to evil. So I'm going to read James 1, 13 through 18, then I'm going to talk about it. For a couple minutes. James 1, 13 through 18. James writes, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived. So that, by the way, that verse is 14 through 15. That's the process of how temptation comes about okay then verse 16 james says do not be deceived my beloved brethren every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow in the exercise of his will god brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of First fruits among his creatures now that's talking about salvation and they they were the early church the first fruits so in verses 13 through 15, we see the process of temptation, the process. James gives the process from test through enticement to sin to death. Notice that. Test through enticement to sin to death. In context, James was writing about persevering under trial, persevering under trial. In verse 13, James begins to write about temptation. John Piper shares that tempt is the same word in the original language, the same Greek word for test, at least in many cases. So we can see that in John chapter 6, verses 5 through 6. Test is the same word as tempt. Hebrews eleven seventeen. test is the same word for tempt. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 17, test is the same Greek word for tempt. God does test. 
God tests us, but he doesn't tempt us. Now, in a sense, all trials can be a, can be a temptation. Verse 13 gives two important theological truths. Two important theological truths. God does not tempt and God cannot be tempted. God does not tempt and he cannot be tempted. Notice that verse 13 specifies evil. God cannot be tempted by evil and God cannot tempt anyone. This means to evil. God is not tempted by evil. God does not tempt anyone to evil. God can test us, but not to the point of temptation to evil. Okay, God can test us. A test is the beginning. We let it go on and then it becomes temptation to evil. And that's the process. A lot of times we are tempted to evil with things that are not bad in themselves. Okay, we are tempted with things that are not bad. Hunger is not a bad thing in and of itself. Hunger isn't, we, we need to eat, right? But we can overeat. We can be gluttonous, you know, things like that. But, uh, you know, uh, Jesus was tempted with hunger by the devil. That's not a bad thing in and of itself. Sex is not a bad thing, though. It tempts us with evil things. Money is not bad, but greed and, you know, and things like that become bad. Okay? They're not sins by themselves. They become sinful, as we see in verses 14 through 15. As stated, we know that God tests. We see that in Genesis 22, 1. God tested Abraham with when in Hebrews eleven seventeen we see that as well. In John six, five through six, Jesus was testing the disciples. What is the difference? What is the difference between the test and the temptation? And we see that process in verses 14 through 15. James breaks it down. In verse 14, James explains the process. When we are carried away and enticed by our own lust, that becomes a sin. When we are carried away and enticed by our own lust, we have desires and these lure us away. Some translations actually say that they drag us away. We have these desires and these, these desires drag us away into temptation, sin, and death. That is the beginning. Think of it like fishing. I used to do some fishing. I didn't do much catching, okay? In fishing, I get my hook in the water. I have some bait on that hook. My bait lures the fish, and then that entices the fish, okay? The fish is going for a good thing, food, but that becomes a bad thing, the hook. All analogies fail, and this one does too, because it would not be sinful for the fish. However, these lusts lure us away, entice us, and become sinful for us, and even death the longer, the longer they go on. So in verse 15, he continues to show us the rest of the process, the process of temptation, going to sin, going to death. Okay, it says lust or desire in some translations is conceived, then that gives birth to sin. Lust or desire is conceived. Eugene Peterson in the message translation says it has a baby and that gives birth to sin. Okay, um, Sin is accomplished, and that brings forth death. Desire can lead to the duration of sin without repentance leading to death. If we repent, you know, God is faithful, okay? He's going to forgive us our sins. But if we, re we do not repent, and we just keep on sinning and keep on sinning, that, of course, brings forth death. God cannot be tempted, and yet Christ was tempted. But this was a different use of the Greek word. Christ had allurements of ordinary hunger, which we can use to sin, and Jesus did not. That's a difference, remember? Christ had allurements with ordinary hunger, which can be used to sin, but Jesus did not give in to that sin. God tempts no one and tries everyone. In the trial, his purpose and goal, God's purpose and goal in the trial 
is completeness in steadfastness. God does not make that trial a temptation. You hear that? That's important. God does not make the trial a temptation. We do when, when we let something go to the bad or the devil does tempting us or sin nature does or sin around us. Okay. God has his purpose in our trials to build us up, to make us complete, to sanctify us, to make us depend upon him. Right now we're going through trials as a country and I pray and hope that we are depending upon the Lord more. We are going to the Lord. We are running to the Lord. We have extra time on our hands. Do some deep Bible study. Memorize scripture. Meditate on scripture. Spend time in prayer. Turn off the news. You don't need the news 24 hours a day. Go to the Lord in prayer and pray and pray and pray. You know, I already referenced Luke 18, 1. Jesus told the parable that they pray and never give up. Luke 11. We need to be in prayer. We need to be spending time with the Lord. I believe one reason God is allowing us to go through this right now is to make us depend upon him. But I'm afraid that many times we're going to go to video games. I read a great article last week through Desiring God about uh, written by a designer of video games. And it talked exactly about exactly about how they're designed to feed our addictions. And I'm afraid right now we have more time at home and we're going to let our kids, grandkids, we ourselves are just going to play video games. We're just going to be on Facebook all the time. And it's okay if you're watching videos like this, I hope. But, you know, we need to beware. I, have, I know families that pride themselves. We never watch TV, but they let their kids play video games all the time. Just as destructive and more so. Go to the Lord. We need to go to the Lord and not let ourselves go into the other gluttonies of our society. Okay. Many times, though, we see these things as one-sided. We do not realize what God's trying to do, building us up in trials. God has his purpose, building us up in completeness. I read an article about uh, a dad, you know, and his son fell, his one-year-old. He was a one-year-old son. He fell, tripped. They were 250 kilometers um, where, where they were at, they used kilometers. 250 kilometers from help. And his son fell. He's one year old. He, he one year old. And he falls and he splits his lips so much that you could see the inside of his mouth, the, the bottom of his mouth. They're, they're, they're you know, so far away, he had to do something. So he found supplies at, 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 at where they were at and he stitched it up. No anesthetic, nothing like that. And he tried to think about it from his son's point of view. He told his one year old as much as he could understand what he had to do. He had to. An infection could build up in a in a in a one year old so quick he had to cleanse the wound. He had to he had to stitch it. He had to. But to this one year old, all these adults are pinning him down, holding his head from moving, and he's causing more pain. And at that point he realized how we view things versus God's way. God many times we're going through difficulty. We're going through difficulty and we're like the kids screaming in pain, why are you doing this to me? But God knows I'm doing that to keep the infection of sin in your life, to make you depend upon me, you know, to build you up, to sanctify you, to consecrate you, you know, things like that. So anyways, moving on, I like how Eugene Peterson renders this, these verses in the, the message. And he writes, the temptation to give in to evil comes from us and only us. You hear that? The temptation to give in to sin to evil comes from us and only us. We have no one to blame but the leering, seducing flare-up of our own lust. Lust gets pregnant and has, a, and has a baby, and that is sin. Sin grows up to adulthood and becomes a real killer. Desire can lead us to the duration of sin without repentance leading to death, which is separation from God. So in, moving on now, in verses 16 through 17, James shows that every good gift is from God. Every good gift is from God. 
Verse 18 is an example of that. James says, do not be deceived. Now, how would they be deceived? They'd be deceived thinking that God tempts, that God, that God makes us sin, wants to make us sin, that God is not good. That would be deceiving. That would be very deceiving. God is not tempted to sin. God will send trials, but his goal is building us up. James says in verse 17 that every good and perfect gift is from above. And today in the Word, last year I read this, you know, if you think about gifts, Think about gifts. In 1885, a Russian czar commissioned Karl Faberge and his family jewelry business to create a special Easter gift for his wife. They designed a beautiful white egg, inside of which was a gold yolk. Inside of that was a, a golden hen. And inside of that was a miniature diamond crown and a tiny ruby egg. Known as the hen egg, this was the first of 50, 50 such jeweled eggs created over a span of 32 years as royal gifts. Those are gifts. And oh my gosh, they would have been worth a, a, a lot. And that's a major material gift, right? But Jesus gives us something far better. Jesus gives us something far better in our salvation, in our salvation. So again, we're in James chapter 1 and verses 16 through 18. The gift is our salvation. The gift is the abundant life in God. John 10, 10, the abundant life in God. Uh, the gift is life with Jesus, John 15. We live our Christian life with Jesus, not alone, but with Jesus. The gift comes from God, and he's comparing God as the father of lights. We have another theological truth here. Truth here. Remember I said there's theological truths here. And the other one is God does not change. God does not change. God does not vary. There's no, vary, there's no varying God. This says there's no varying shadow. The sunlight changes as the clouds move or, or the earth moves, but God's light is strong and constant. 1 John 1, 5 is about God as light. And that's a great and awesome theological truth, by the way. If God does not change, his promises to us do not change either. His promise to save us does not change. God does not change. Verse 18 is an example of that. It, it, in exercising his will, and exercising God's will, God saved us. That is what James was talking about. God saved us. They were, James says, they were the first fruits. In other words, this is the early church, and they were the first believers. They were the first believers. Let's make some applications. God does not tempt us to evil. It is important to remember that God is good. God is good. The devil can tempt evil. And so can sin around us, but God does not. It's important to remember the process and put up safeguards to prevent sin and ongoing sin. Our desire can entice. The enticement can give birth to sin. Sin can go on and become death. We must remember to cut this off before the enticement leads to lust. Cut it off before the enticement leads to lust and sin and death. We must repent before ongoing sin leads to death. Repent before ongoing sin leads to death. Psalm 6618. Psalm 66, I can't say that. Psalm 6618 says, If I withhold sin in my heart, the Lord would not hear my prayer. We do not want to stay in a pattern of sin. We need to repent. We must remember that God is good. We must worship God knowing that He brings good. We must worship God knowing that He does not change like the shadow. He does not change like the shadow. God does not tempt, but he will let us be tempted through difficult times, but he is building us up. Mercedes, you are on camera when you go through that. If you saw Mercedes in the background there. So she was trying to be sneaky, but she was uh, 
on camera. God's not changed. I read a story, by the way, and, and I guess I am going to read this. I was debating it. In his spiritual memoir, A Stranger in the House of God, author and Moody Bible Institute professor John Kessler tells the story of his younger brother, George. Since adulthood, George's life consisted of heartache after heartache. Because of a collapsed lung shortly after birth, he struggled with a learning disability that made him the butt of far too many jokes, even from his own family. His first wife cheated on him after being married for less than a year. He was permanently laid off from it, the only job he knew how to do well at the time. As the pain snowballed, George hit rock bottom. Because he hadn't kept in touch with George, Kessler, remember Kessler's the Moody Bible Institute prof, Kessler was unaware of what was going on in his brother's life. A literal wake-up call concerning George's condition came late one night. John Kessler, the Moody Bible Institute professor, writes this. He says, I awoke, I awoke from a sound sleep with a sense of dread, compelled to pray for my brother. God woke him up to pray for his brother. In particular, he says, I felt impressed to ask God to spare his life. Kessler did not know. John Kessler did not know anything going on with George. But the Holy Spirit woke him up to pray for his brother. He said, I, 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 the longer I prayed, he says, the more anxious I became, sensing George was in some kind of grave danger. A week later, I got a phone call from my father. My brother's roommate contacted him saying George had tried to commit suicide. His brother had tried to commit suicide. Despondent over his life, he slit his wrist with a kitchen knife. He really meant business, my father said. If his roommate had come 15 minutes later, it would have been too late. My brother's roommate discovered him about the same time I was asking God to spare George's life. God woke him up. The Holy Spirit woke him up and had him pray at the same time that George was trying to commit suicide. Now listen to this. With the encouragement of family and friends, George partnered with God. George ran to God. He partnered with God to put his life back together. He learned how to cope with his learning disability and he overcame his depression with the help of medicine. He worked difficult, trying hours as an emergency medical technician in order to earn a college degree, which he earned with honors, perseverance. All the while, he was taking the all-important steps toward a life of faith. After meeting his second wife, Jan, at a church function, George committed his life to Christ. George's transformation stirred, him, stirred in him a deep desire to serve others spiritually. This man, weighed down for so long by such profound pain, would eventually become the chaplain for the Detroit Fire Department. He became a chaplain. Kassler closes a chapter concerning his brother with these words about George. He doesn't regret the difficulties he has faced. He doesn't see them as unfortunate twists of fate or himself as a victim of circumstance. He sees them as tools wielded by the gracious hand of God. Without them, he says, I wouldn't be the person I am today. George doesn't consider any of his accomplishments remarkable. But John Kessler, the professor, says he's a hero to him. He persevered under a lot of trials. And God used him. He became a chaplain with the fire department. I'm sure God used him in many other ways. We all go through trials and tests. We need to run to God and not from God. Run to God away from temptation. You know, the way we defeat temptation is not sin management. It's putting more of Jesus in. I'm sure you've heard the illustration. I wish I had a, a jar with me, you know, where you talk about, I do have a coffee mug. It's pretty dirty because I never wash it. But, you know, and you could say, how do I get the air out of the mug? You can't get the air out of the mug, can you? Except by filling it with water or coffee or something else. 
the way we get sin out of our life is filling it with Jesus, running to Jesus. Live John 15, connected to Jesus. And my last uh, comment today right now is, do you know Jesus? Is he your Lord and Savior? Are you living life with him? Are you surrendered to him? In Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, anyone can come after me, but he or she must deny his or herself, take up his or her cross and follow. Jesus gives us a free gift of salvation. It's free. It's a gift. But we need to surrender and follow him. Deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow. The Bible uses four verbs to describe our commitment to Christ. They're confess, believe, trust, commit. We confess we are sinners in need of a Savior. That means we repent. Believe in Jesus as our only Savior. Believe in him. He died on the cross for your sins and rose again. Believe John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. We trust and commit. Confess, believe, Trust and commit. You've heard me say it. I'm going to say it again. The Bible can be summed up with the acronym that spells gospel. God created us to be with him, in a relationship with him, Genesis 1 through 2. Our sins separate us from God, Genesis 3. We sin against a holy, righteous God, a standard of perfection. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds, Genesis 4 through Malachi 4. Our good works don't cover sin, but that's a dilemma because God loves us and wants a relationship with us. So God took action. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. The Gospels. And everyone who trusted him alone has eternal life. The New Testament. Life this eternal means being with Jesus for eternity. And that begins now. It means that we firmly make the decision to be with Jesus. To live life with him. In order to become like him. To learn and do all that he says. And you arrange your affairs. You arrange your life around him. Firmly make the decision to be with him. In order to become like him. How do you know how to become like him? Spend time with him in the Bible, in prayer, with the church family, in spiritual disciplines. Learn and do all that he says. Bible study, prayer. Arrange your affairs around him. Let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, I pray that we do live life with you. Lord God, I pray that right now, those that are watching, listening, will watch, will listen will commit to follow you all the more. Lord God, whether we committed to you as Lord and Savior years ago or just yesterday, I still ask that every day we get up in the morning and say, Lord, I want to live life with you. Every morning is a new commitment to you. The old is gone. Every morning we say, today, Lord, I'm going to firmly, seriously, resolutely make the decision to live life with you in order to become like you, to learn and do all that you say. And I'm going to arrange my affairs around you. Every morning we are renewing. I'm going to live life with you, Jesus. We're repenting of the past and moving forward. And Lord Jesus, if there's anyone listening, watching who is, does not know you, may today be the day of salvation, confessing, repenting, believing, and trusting. And may they respond and tell you that in a simple prayer like this. If you're there and you don't know if you really know Jesus and you want to, you're convicted, turn your life over to him and tell him in a simple prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I confess I have sinned and missed your perfect standard. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. I am trusting in you and committing my life to you. I am firmly making the decision to be with you in order to become like you, to learn and do all that you say. I'm going to arrange my life around you. In Jesus' name, amen. As always, I want to say, if you have questions about God or the spiritual life, talk to me. I'd love to help you. If you're a Christian that has doubts, I would love to help you. Uh, talk to me. If you're a doubter, you're not a Christian, you're considering it, even if you're atheist, agnostic, deist, Buddhist, talk to me. I would love to, love to talk to you. Uh, just help you explore things. Help you explore Christianity. So anyways, those are things to encourage you. And we're going to stop right there. Have a good day in the Lord. Have a, the Lord bless you.